Good morning, Cornerstone. How are you all doing today? It is fitting that Dan talks about songs, about the power of music, because I want to talk a little bit about one of the most iconic songs of my growing up. And I'm not talking about when I was in elementary school of We Gotta Fight for Our Right to Party by the Beastie Boys. I'm not talking about Welcome to the Jungle by Guns N' Roses when I was in junior high. And I'm actually not going to be talking about Smells Like Teen Spirit, which was the anthem of my high school years. I'm going to be talking about something more deep, written by the great philosopher-poet Michael W. Smith when he said in Pen the Words that friends are friends forever. If the Lord is Lord of them, you know a friend will not say never, and their welcome will not end. Though it's hard to let you go, in the Father's hands you know that a lifetime's not too long to live as friends. Thank you. Have a good day. But I love that song. That song was played at the end of every single camp from elementary school to high school. It'd be around the fire. You're with your friends. You just confessed your sins. You accepted Jesus for the 417th time just to cover your bases. And then at the end of camp, we're the friends of friends forever. And we would be all together singing this song. Can I get a witness on that? Am I not alone? And then that song would also take a bit of a downer because that song would also be played at every funeral. And there would be a slideshow, there would be tears, and there would be Michael W. Smith, who I believe in 1989 was voted 50, one of the 50 most beautiful people by People magazine. Not only a beautiful poet, but a beautiful man. So this song was such an important part of growing up because for me, friendship was so important. And I love the idea of friendship because these are people I got to choose. They weren't people that are blood relation. They weren't people that my parents brought home from the hospital that I would have to live the rest of my life with. These were people that I got to choose to be around. They were people that I got to find common interests with, that we got to share. And I remember I would love every Friday scheming with my parents, can I stay over at Chris Alberino's house, mom? His mom said it's okay. Can I stay at Chris's house? Can I go over to the Rootsager boys? I know they want to play Nintendo and we get in a fight every weekend, but I think this one's going to be the weekend we pull through. Can we go hang out with friends? And when I got my driver's license, after school and every weekend, I was off with my friends. I actually stayed home. I hope this one isn't streamed. I didn't share this in first because my parents watch. But I stayed home from a family vacation because I needed a job. I wanted to hang out with my friends, so I went to Cousin Gary's and cleaned out horse trailers just so I could stay with my friends. That tells you the commitment level that I had, wanting to be around friends. And it's continued on, and I don't know if it's a fact that I have Peter Pan syndrome, and I just want to hang out with the lost boys and never grow up, but friends are so incredibly important to me. And in this season, as we have been distanced from people, it showed more and more the importance of friendship. I see it in my kids. They will have a day in which they are on, you know, the idea of screen time out the window of like, you know, hold your kids to this amount. It's like COVID-19 was just like, for the love of God, this is like a Ten Commandments scroll. Please just watch this for the rest of the day. And I know that's terrible and you can judge me, but you do it too. So, but one of the things that I notice about my girls is they will be communicating with their friends all day, 
texting, whatever device it is, whatever it is. And then they're just like, I just want to be with my friends. I just want to see my friends. I was like, what have you been doing? You've just been with them. And they say it's not the same. It's not the same. There's something powerful about being in the presence of our friends. My family got the blessing of COVID-19, entered our home. Two individuals that didn't include Grace and I got COVID. And we were, what they do is it's an interesting thing because everyone, it's the gift that everyone pays for. So we were all quarantined in our home. And quarantining for the Wardle family brings the sovereignty and the benevolence of God into question because we are a very gregarious bunch, and we had to keep two of them in their room as the other two would provide meals for them. But it was one of the things of just realizing the necessity of we have to have friendship. We are relational beings that are meant to be in connection with people. And not just blood relatives, not just the people that we're married to, not just our siblings, not just our parents, but people that we choose to be committed and connected to. I love as we move into Third uh, John, our author John, the book entitled after his name, is an incredibly relational individual. We see that this is the guy that in his gospel wants to be known not as John, but as the disciple that Jesus loved, the beloved of Jesus. He wants to be known in relationship to Jesus. And the whole gospel of John is about relationships. We see that John and Jesus are such close friends that there's no awkwardness with spatial issues. They're in the upper room, and they're eating, and John leans up against Jesus, and they're having a meal. That's how connected they are. I remember the first time my best friend Todd, he and I went to the movies, and we go into the movies, we get our ticket, and I sit down, and he sits down a seat away from me, and I just get up, and I'm like, oh, okay, and I move next to him, and he's like, what are you doing? And my arm's touching his arm. He's like, that's arm hair touching. I'm like, uh, yeah. He's like, you're supposed to have a seat apart. I was like, why? No, no, no one told me. I do not have spatial issues when it comes to that. He's like, guys don't sit next to each other. I was like, why not? He's like, never mind. <laughs> but that's like John the disciple. John, the beloved of Jesus, he doesn't have space issues. He wants to be known in friendship. We see most of the time he's mentioned with Peter, James, and John. We see that he is the person that is such a good friend that Jesus entrusts his mom to him. And then we see that out of the three letters that he writes, he writes two to friends. They're not to be circulated. They're to be to specific people. And he writes third John to Gaius. And we see through this that he is giving us lessons on the importance and how we are to be friends. And I think in this time, it's a powerful lesson. So as I read through the whole book, of 3 John, which is like two paragraphs, so don't worry about it. I want you to listen because it is laced with lessons of friendship. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing that you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner that is worthy of God. 
For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like this, these, that we may be fellow workers in truth. I have written something to the church, but Diophyses, just close to being how you pronounce it, but not accurate, but we'll go with it. Who likes to bring, who, uh, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends each by name. What I want to do is I want to look at this, and I believe, and I know this sounds like long, but we're going to move quickly through them. There are eight lessons, eight principles that John shows us, laced through this passage that teach us about friendship. Will you pray with me? Holy Spirit, you are here. You are good. You are worthy of praise. Jesus, thank you for the example that you give on friendship and that John teaches us. I pray that this will go into our hearts and that we will be encouraged and challenged. And Lord, at the bedrock of this community, this church will be friendships that glorify you and love one another. We pray this, Lord, what is of me will be forgotten and what's of you will be remembered. In your name, Jesus, amen. Quickly scrolling through, here's the eight things. John, the elder, John, the beloved, teaches us about friendship. He says, express your feelings, pray and bless the whole person, be bound by more than mutual adoration, celebrate who they are, recognize and encourage, see something, say something, can't replace face-to-face, -face, and friendship begets friendship. We're going to dive in. Point one, John starts off his letter. He could start it off any way he wants. And what he says is, Gaius, it says the elder, lets him know this is who he is. My beloved Gaius, I love you in the truth. John starts off his very letter by expressing his feelings for Gaius and says, Gaius, I love you. That's an incredibly vulnerable thing. Telling someone that is not a family member, telling someone that you don't have to, that you love them. And John puts it out there, and what he does is he shows us that by expressing your feelings of how you feel for a friend, what it does is that vulnerability creates a bridge for connection. It creates room for connection. And then it also declares a value of what the person means to you. It's a terrifying thing as a man to say to another man, I love you. But the vulnerability that it creates actually creates a connection and value in the relationship that is absolutely profound. And John is passing on what Jesus has showed him. There's a, one of my heroes is a man named 
Abraham Heschel. And Abraham Heschel was a profound friend. He was a friend of Martin Luther King, but he had one of the most fascinating, unlikely best friends, a man named Reinhold Niebuhr. Now, Abraham Heschel fleed Poland during, uh, right before the Holocaust, fled, and fleed or fled, both ways, I've heard of both. And he was a Jewish rabbi and taught at the Jewish Theological Seminary. Reinhold Niebuhr was the son of German immigrants, and he was a Reformed theologian that taught at Union Theological Seminary. Not you're too likely, like it's the beginning of a joke. So a Reformed theologian and a Jewish rabbi go into a bar. That's the kind of relationship they had. But there is a profound thing that they show an example of what their friendship was like. And Ursula uh, Niebuhr tells about their friendship. And when, when, when Heschel would write to, to Reinhold, he would say, beloved and revered friend, we are meeting with friends in the Vatican, and as scheduled seeing the Pope tomorrow, thinking of you with affection and hope you are feeling better. I love that, that a grown man with international acclaim writes to his best friend and says, hey, buddy, I'm going to the Pope tomorrow. I'm thinking about you with great affection. Hope you're feeling better. I love the model that Heschel gives us. It's the same that John does. He extends, and the vulnerability of Heschel to say, Reinhold, I love you. I'm thinking of you. I'm meeting the Pope, but you're on my mind. If I'm meeting the Pope, my friends aren't on my mind. But for Heschel, there was this beauty, and he wanted to let his friend know, I love you. And what happens is that the vulnerability of one person saying it to another creates a connection and also declares value in the relationship. It's a beautiful thing to be able to tell your friends, I love you. Moving on. The next thing that we see is that we pray for the whole person. John, he says, beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health and as it goes well with your soul. The parallel to this, it's a Greek version of the Jewish prayer of, of uh, Shalom. He's saying, I pray favor, blessing, goodness from top to bottom, in and out. In every aspect of your life, may you be blessed and may good things happen. And he's intentionally praying for Gaius and saying, I want to let you know, I'm praying for your mind, your soul, and your physical being. There's a profound lesson in this of saying, and I was really convicted as I read this and going, when is the last time that I just thought of my friend and just prayed a blessing of the favor of God over absolutely every aspect of their life? That I intentionally prayed for their physical, spiritual, emotional, and the circumstances around them. But the intentionality of praying for our friends. In one of Heschel's letters to Niebuhr, he said, Such good news from you is what I pray for daily. Isn't that a neat way of saying it? Such good news from you is what I pray for daily. You are so deeply ingrained in my thoughts. And I'm eager, and I'm eager to renew our walking and talking together on Riverside Drive. I love that. Heschel said, I'm praying blessing for everything about you. I love you, my friend. You're on my mind. The next thing, John, in his writing, that the friendship, what he teaches us is friendship is bound by something greater than mutual uh, admiration. 
It's bound by something bigger than the fact of, I like you because you like me. That's one of the biggest categories and one of the biggest criteria to be my friend. If you like me, there's a pretty good chance you're going to be my friend. Anybody else admit that? Like when you really go, you're like, kind of true. The best thing about you is the fact that you like me. We're so dirty. We need help. But it's true. That's the way I am. And then the friend is, the best thing I like about you is that you like me. And there's this mutual admiration society where we skip around and go, I like you, you like me, and I like you because you like me. And it's silly, but it's true. We are feeding off of one another, not giving to one another. John is writing about friendship, and he's constantly saying the same thing. He's saying, for I rejoice rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth. As indeed, you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. The epicenter and the bond of John and Gaius' friendship was the truth of Jesus. Their passion for him fueled their connection with one another. It wasn't turning to each other to get something, but they were side by side moving towards something. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Four Loves, which I'm going to say something and then undo it at the end of my sermon. But one of the things he said is lovers, the posture of lovers is face to face. The posture of friends is side by side. Because they need to be about something beyond themselves. That that relationship is fueled by the mutuality and the commonality of something that they're both passionate about. And that's okay. Go back to our friends Niebuhr. And Heschel, Ursula writes this. She said, Reinhold read a paper to the annual joint meeting. This is how did they get to know each other? This is the context. Reinhold read a paper to the annual joint meeting of the faculties of the Jewish Theological Seminary and the Union Theological Seminary. This paper entitled, The Relations of Jews and Christians in Western Civilization. Analyzing the differences between them, the two traditions in terms of universalism and particularism, of law and grace, and the messianic promise, and so forth. What she's saying is, these two guys were united when Reinhold read a paper about something that Abraham Heschel was interested in, and they connected on it after. Their love for bringing their two traditions together fueled their relationship. The other thing that fueled them is both of them had a great sense of wonder, and these two things they were almost obsessed with, mystery and meaning, and that they would get together and discuss this, but their love for their traditions, their desire to understand mystery and meaning in the, in the universe with God brought them together, and it was the thing that brought them close. It was outside of just the mutual admiration society that they had, but this is the one thing that I love, is it didn't stop with their common interests. It grew to a deep bond. When he talks about, when Heschel talks about their Riverside Drive, uh, their Riverside Drive walks, this would have been one of the most fascinating scenes. They lived about a block from each other. Niebuhr was over six foot tall. Heschel was not. Let's just leave it at that. Vertically challenged individual. And Niebuhr had had multiple strokes and his health was not great. And the doctor said he needed to go for walks. And Heschel said, I'll go with you. And so they would meet at the door of their building, one of their buildings, and they would go for walks. But one of the things that would happen is Niebuhr, who had had multiple strokes, would begin to kind of teeter. 
at which point Heschel would pull up, prop him up. Walking down the street, these two giants of scholars, these people that have written works that will be read for centuries, and they're walking down the street supporting one another, holding each other up. Their bond was a paper written about Jewish and Christian traditions. Their bond began with the love and the fascination with mystery and with meaning, but their bond continued with this intimacy and connection as they cared for one another. And these two old men making their way down the street, giants of the faith, with mutual, more than mutual admiration, admiration, they love one another. We move on, celebrating. We move from this idea of bound by something greater than mutual admiration. We move to celebrating. John says, for I rejoice greatly, says this to Gaius, I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth. As, as indeed you are walking in the truth, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. John is celebrating Gaius. He's saying, Gaius, I am so proud of you. It brings me so much joy in the way that you are and who you are. And I just want to let you know that I'm so proud of you. Friends need to celebrate friends. Letting them know the joy that that friend brings them. Letting them know, passing on the praise. It's a powerful thing. One of the things that happened this week, and we're going to hear more about it, but 18 to 25 had a worship night here. And it was filled with college students, socially distanced with masks on, of course. And there was worship going on, and Matt Brown, oh, sweet Matt Brown, was leading worship. And Tracy sent me a video of Matt singing, I Will Have Hope. And went around the room to see the people being impacted by that. I wrote that song. My friend was celebrating what God was doing and celebrating me. She's just letting you know, I just want to celebrate you. And it moved me beyond belief, and it chokes me up now, and we're going to move on because I don't want to cry. But it is so important that we celebrate our friends. We catch them being great, and we let them know about it. The next thing we move to is John. He recognizes as he encourages Gaius. Beloved, it is a faithful thing that you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church. Real quickly, let me explain what's going on in the context. There is a church. Gaius is the leader of the church, but there would be itinerary preachers that would come and stay and teach for a while. Gaius opens up his home and his congregation to these teachers that have been approved by the apostles. And what John is doing is he's recognizing, the, the, he's recognizing what's going on below the surface. Oh, that's a nice thing. No, he's recognizing and he's saying, Gaius, you're killing it. That's hospitality. It's a faithful thing you do. I think one of the things that people are starving, I am starving for, and I think many people are starving to be seen and to be recognized when they do something that's great and have another person validate that. That's what John does in this. Guys, I caught you being great. That's an amazing thing you're doing right there. And he's able to say it, to see it, and he's able to say it in such a way that brings encouragement, encouragement to Gaius. When I have had friends who, when I am doing something, recognize what I'm doing. My friend Steve Letourneau has done this for me after a meeting. 
he just let me know, this is what I really appreciate that. This is where I saw you do something great in that. When he did that for me, I felt seen. And it became a new place for me to stand on with confidence because my friend recognized me doing something that took courage. And he said, you killed it. And it gave me confidence to move in another place. I'm sure you have stories of that as well. But one of the things, as friends, we need to have the boldness to be able to tell our friends, I caught you being great. And we celebrate them. And we recognize specifically the things we see, and we say that to them. Can I get a witness on that one? Thank you. Now we move into, John continues in our point, see something, say something. John speaks to Gaius, and he says, you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. Now, one of the things that happened in this culture is sometimes those itinerant preachers, when they found a place that they really liked, they're like, I think I might stay a while. Let me just hang out here for a little bit. And what John is saying, hey, just want to give you this little information. And he's not strong. He's not, thus saith the Lord unto thee, you shalleth. He doesn't do any of that. He just said, it would go well for you if you send them on their way honor them, but you're the leader of that community, and you need to lead that community, and they need to move on. It was gentle, but he saw something in the life of Gaius, and he said something. And then we go to the next section of this, um, where he's talking about our friend Diatrophosis, and he speaks to him, and he's going, I want to push it a little further. This isn't just a suggestion, but I want to warn you of something that's going on. This guy's a hot mess, and he's not right. And I want to warn you what's coming down. When I get there, I'm going to untangle this and deal with this. But you need to know, don't emulate what he is doing because he's not good. John saw something, so he said something. Sometimes this is really simple and subtle. Recently, I was at a wedding where one of my friends was having a situation that I refer to as chronic zipper down. Chronic zipper down is when there is a mechanical malfunction in a man's clothing that could prov provide humiliation. And so I had said to him, hey, dude, your fly's down. And he, okay. He's about to go speak at the, re uh, the reception in front of everyone. And once again, he is suffering from chronic zipper down. And he's about to go speak, and our beloved Brian Carlucci, who was thinking about not saying anything because it could be somewhat humorous, realizes, you know what? Just like at the airport, see something, say something. And so he goes up to our friend, and he says, hey, your zipper's down. And then the friend goes and does a comedy routine that would not have been as funny if his zipper was down. But that's just a silly illustration. And as I talked to the friend whose zipper was down, he said, that was the greatest pastoral moment of my life. I've never felt more cared for by my pastor. That's silly. But what if it was something more harmful? What if it was something where the stakes were higher than, uh-oh, maybe that's a huge, <laughs> maybe that would be high stakes. But a friend loves a person enough to say, hey, I see something in your life. You may want to change this. You may want to look at that. And a friend also knows when the stakes are even higher to say, hey, you need to stay away from this. That's dangerous. You're headed for danger. But the fact that the friend loves enough that they saw something in their life and they spoke it. Edwin Friedman, who was a rabbi and a family system therapist, he said that in relationships, we need to be close enough for presence 
but far enough away for perspective. Friends need to have that intimacy that I can tell you what I, something, but a distance enough to be able to say, hey, I see something here that you may want to address. You may want to change. This even happened in Heschel's life with his buddy neighbor. In the letter, it says, such good news from you is what I pray for daily. You are so deeply ingrained in my thoughts, and I'm eager to renew our walking and talking together on Riverside Drive. Miami Beach may be intellectually America's Siberia. Still, the climate has proven beneficial, and I continue to press you to come to Florida. Nothing against Miami Beach. This is Abraham Heschel says what he wants. But what he's saying here is, Reinhold had had a stroke. Saying the cold of where you're at is not good for you. I suggest you go to Florida where it's humid and warm and hang out here. Just a suggestion. I want to let you know. I see something, I'll say something. We move to the next point. We can't replace face-to-face. This was in the letter that John wrote in 2 John to the leader of the church, a woman leading the church there. And he says, I write much to you. But I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon. And we may talk face to face. John knows in this that there is a power that can only be in the presence of being with someone. He says, I can't translate everything I want to say. I can't transfer how much I care to you, care of you. I can't get my message across I, unless I am with you. Because there's experience and power in being in the presence of a person that doesn't happen when you're not in the presence of a person. If Reinhold and Abraham were on a, a Zoom call instead of walking the streets, when Reinhold fell off his chair, Hesha would not have been there to help him up. But there's something powerful about being in the presence of another person. I know, friends, it's dangerous right now in some ways. And all of us has varying degrees of hypocrisy and safety that we have of what we say that it's okay to do and what it's not okay to do. And I realize that. But there is a powerful thing that if John, who to go see Gaius, would have to take a boat and walk, says it's so important that I come see you, Maybe it's time that we move past our screens to begin to interact with one another. Now, I know we need to be safe with that. I know that when, after weeks of shelter in place and shelter at home, when we would get on a Zoom call with someone, it's just like, there's people out there. They're really happening. This is amazing. I'm tired of my family. Let's just, like, it was just amazing thing. And it felt like a cup of cold water for someone that had gone through the desert. It felt like a crumb of bread. Oh, this is so good to see you. But you know what? We can't stay with the diet of a small cup of water and a crumb of bread when we're to continually feast on a banquet of being in relationship with people, that which we do in emergency is not to become the new normal. So what I'm saying here is, if you're in a place where you're immune compromised, just have the goal to again be face-to-face with someone. Not that this is now what it is. You may have to wait. If you're in a place where you're uncomfortable, you may have to wait. But like John, if you could just say, hey, This isn't going to do for long. 
we're going to get together. And I'm going to make steps to move back to be in the presence. Because there is no replacing face-to-face. One CEO and author said, the beauty of communication is found in the nuance that is only felt in face-to-face conversations. A study by Li at the University of Beijing says, it was found that contrary to our expectation, internet communication cannot predict the quality of life while face-to-face communication with friends and family members can. That an individual who only has interaction through the internet Those interactions cannot predict quality of life, where the amount of interactions that people have with friends and family face-to-face has a correlation to a quality of life. Another study by UCLA uh, neuroscientists said, when we interact face-to-face, mirror neurons start firing in our brain. We subconsciously build a rapport by mimicking body movements, gestures, and expressions. A smile can generate a smile. Mirror neurons enable us to understand other people's emotions and intentions by internally recreating what they are experiencing. Have you ever been in a conversation and you find someone goes like this and you go? Someone shakes their arm, you shake your arm. Someone laughs, and you laugh almost like them, not in mimic them to mock them, but something is, and you're going, I don't know what's happening. I'm turning into you. But there is this piece that neurobio, neuro, you know what I'm trying to say. That's too much coffee. There is this piece where the chemical makeup of who we are begins to fire off that connection. The kinetic energy of being in the presence of another person is absolutely powerful. And this is why when my daughter, though, had been on all the different platforms and had seen her friends on a device all day, said, I just miss my friends. And and I said, what? You've been with them all day. She said, it's not the same. And it's not the same was a scientific answer. Because it isn't the same. There's a degree of loss when we move from live to video, from video to phone call, from phone call to text message. Things are lost in translation. I've gotten myself in a hot mess (laughs) because people have misunderstood what I have said. But there is a beauty that we cannot replace face to face. So John, I believe, is calling from this place to say not only to Gaius, but to the people of Cornerstone, hey, guys, just put it out there. At whatever degree you feel conviction and comfortable, it's time to get back together face-to-face because there's a power in it. Put that as the goal. You move at your own timing. Last point. Friendship begets, begets friendship. And what I mean by that is The friendship that one has with another begins to spill out to create friendships in other people. John says this to Gaius at the end. The friends greet you. Greet the friends each by name. The friendship of John and Gaius actually created that Gaius became friends with John's friends. And John became friends with Gaius' friends. And it began to create a network of companionship. And one of the things that C.S. Lewis talks about in his book, The Four Loves, is he talks about the fact that the, the love of friendship is, the most, is to be the most unjealous of loves. 
that when you bring someone into the friendship you have with another person, it doesn't take away from that relationship, but actually adds a new dynamic that strengthens the friendship. A cord of three strands can't be broken. Does that sound familiar? But there's something powerful. And I confess, I am a jealous son of a gun. And when my friends are hanging out together, I'm like, oh, fine, don't call me. Feel free not to add me in there. And there's a jealousy that begins to rise instead of just this idea that the friendship that I have with one individual, when another individual is added to that, actually increases the friendship and the level of connection, commitment, and camaraderie instead of takes it away. Last week, Brian talked about influence. Instead of being a cup of water that is taken out of one bucket and now to put in another and the one is lacking, it's like a candle. That when you light one candle and it lights another, friendship can be like that where it spreads. And it's not to be jealous, but friendship grows friendship. And now you've had an eight-point sermon. But this is what I want to do. I want to pray for you. Joy, would you mind putting up those eight points? This is what I want to do. Because if friendship was so important to the disciple that Jesus loved, that he lays it out to his friend Gaius, that it is inspired by the Holy Spirit, that is handed down for generations through the scriptures, it needs to be important for each of us. And I want to bless you. And I want to pray something right now. Will you allow the Holy Spirit to bring to mind one, two, or three names of friends? I just want you to sit for a moment. now as you have those names in your mind I want to ask that the Holy Spirit the Father, Son, and Spirit will begin to challenge you this week to read 3 John and to look at those relationships through the lens of this letter and I invite you this week between now and next Sunday to contact that or those friends and just tell them how you feel about them. Friends, that is very vulnerable. But that your vulnerability in telling your friend, I love you, that that vulnerability may bring value to them. That you may intentionally this week pray and bless their whole being. That you may Think of that thing. What is it that binds us together more than the fact that we like each other? And how can that be fostered more and more? And let them know you know. This is what binds us together. And I love that. That you'll get a hold of them and just celebrate them and say, this is how you bring me joy. This is so vulnerable. <laughs> but to call, to Zoom, to go see a friend and say, this is how you bring me joy, and I just want to celebrate you. 
And then that you get specific and you recognize something in their life that you can encourage and that you can speak to. And then you will ask the Lord, Lord, is there anything that I see in their life that I should say? And then gently speak that to them. Then begin to the degree you're convicted and comfortable to make plans to see them face to face. And then finally, that the Lord will bring sweet repentance if, we'd allowed, if we have allowed jealousy to creep into our friendships. And that we will invite others into them so that friendship may grow. I bless you in the name of Jesus. I bless you in holy friendships that they may increase. That the bedrock of this community, this church, may be friends. Grace and peace.